G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. It was a cold morning and there was somebody, a person experiencing homelessness, shielding himself away from the cold. And I'm like, wow, here I am, suit and tie, working on a budget of money that I won't even see. And yeah, and I thought there's just such a contrast between where my heart is and where my work is. And from then, I, you know, started exploring other ideas of how I could um, make this step out of IT and more of a meaningful experience aligned with my heart. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Tim Donovan left his job in IT at a major communications company to pursue a career in counselling because human relationships have always been close to his heart. But he soon found out that within the field of counselling, there are many different methods and strategies used to help people. What would be the most effective one? Also, which strategy would be most compatible with what he knows about human nature based on his Christian faith? Tim Donovan will share his story with us today and how the Lord has been working in his life as a counsellor. Tim is the co-author of the book Reclaiming Lives from Sexual Violence and his website is understandingshame.com. And parents, due to the adult themes that will be discussed regarding sexual abuse, today's conversation is not recommended for young listeners. Tim is chatting with Eric Scatterbo. Tim Donovan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Eric. Glad to have you with us. And so from an early age, matters of the heart and relationships have always been important to you. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Relationships were always important between my family. And I think that was fostered by the the emphasis on -on one-on-one conversations. So I was raised in a nurturing environment. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that my mum and dad loved me and that was important, I think. And would people share some of their problems with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, from an early age, um, generally speaking, you know, being the oldest of the family, my mum was quite young, having three kids under two. So, you know, from an early age, yeah, always hearing about what was happening for my mum um, and having that that heart to listen to her, I guess, challenges as being a young mum. So, you know, um, I was always there and also my dad as well. So, So when you eventually, years later, left IT to go into counseling it's not that big of a surprise based on when you look back at your childhood i don't think so and you know we learn i guess in the profession that i'm in that you know family of origin has a lot to do with mm-hmm. who we are and what um dictates to a degree on the decisions we make in the future mm-hmm. and um yeah it's not surprising at all now the surprising thing is uh, you describe yourself as not being academic school wasn't your thing at a young age no, it wasn't interesting enough. Um, I didn't, I guess, one of those felt it challenging to understand the meaning of the education system. Um, and I felt pressure to conform to sort of these dominant ideas around, you know, mm-hmm. getting a good education where the penny didn't drop till later in life. And maybe that was to do with my postgrad studies and where I could really sort of find my own self and a motivation to wanting to learn. So it, it's a better fit for you now 
dealing with matters of the heart on a regular basis as a counselor. Why do you think that you went into IT, even though that's not really your first preference? Yeah, my dad. My dad was in IT at the time. Um, he gave me the foot up, um, the opportunity, fairly low level, um, working in an IT company, telecommunications company, um, and working my way up into quite an important role where I was put into the middle of, I guess, without getting too jargony, business and IT world. Mm-hmm. So I was always the, the, the person in between sort of deciphering conversations and getting the hmm. best understanding from people to develop these sort of software solutions. So if that makes sense, I always had a desire to wanting to understand. And oh, okay. I guess that, mm-hmm. yeah, that came through the curious nature of the role that I ended mm-hmm. up in. And when did you finally come to the point where, no, nah, this isn't for me. I need to go in a different direction. It's a real God moment, I think, Eric. And just a, just a quick mm-hmm. sort of story where I was working uh, within Melbourne, CBD, it was a cold morning and there was somebody, a person experiencing homelessness, shielding himself away from the cold. And I'm like, wow, here I am, suit and tie, Hmm. going, you know, eight stories up, working on a budget of money that I won't even see and potentially no one else either. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I thought there's just such a contrast between where my heart is and where my work is. And Mm -hmm. from then, I, you know, started exploring other ideas of how I could – make this step out of IT and a, more of a meaningful, I guess, experience aligned with my heart. And then from there, went back to uh, undergraduate studies where I found a real purpose. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing how God just stripped me back. I had brand new sports car, you know, living in a nice area of Melbourne. Suddenly I was thrown into a remote part of, you know, central Victoria studying, um, no income, relying on, I guess, the support and gratitude of others. And that was a real challenging time of just mm-hmm. humility and accepting help <laughs> from others. So, And then what happened? Well, from there, um, letting go of my worldly wealth, in a sense, and starting afresh and being renewed, I was employed in social services and I felt a real calling towards that work. And I was working in mental health at the time mm-hmm. and- um, from there, that just leapfrogged me into sort of exploring churches at the time. Yeah. How was God working in your heart during all this? Uh, it just it, it emphasized how relationships really mattered to me, Eric, and mm-hmm. um, the importance of that. And I think God was working in me that, you know, if I've got the relationship with God, it's really tricky to lean on the relationship with others and be fully present in that. So God was... Um, Slow burner, I think, over the years. So I went to Nepal while I was studying and sort of that was pre-Christian days. And mm-hmm. this is important, I guess, Eric, for the journey where I came to know somebody over there, a Nepalese family, mm-hmm. and they weren't Christian. But then when I later went, which we'll get into potentially later, then when I went, later went on my honeymoon, they had come to faith as well. Oh, so okay. it was almost these parallel, you know, parallel stories, these parallel sort of yeah. um, coming to faith from both of us. So, you know, God was working in that way. So Absolutely. how did you finally put your faith in Jesus as your savior? Um, back in Victoria, back in, in Melbourne, um, somebody of influence who I was working with um, was Christian. Um, I was still wanting to understand more about it. And they gave me a book to read about, 
Jesus and social justice. And I think that was the anchor point that I needed where, you know, the story of the person experiencing homelessness, where was the justice mm-hmm. to, you know, I needed something, the doubting Thomas, I'm not sure, but I needed something to hang my faith on. And mm-hmm. hearing that Jesus was all about social justice in this book that I read was really instrumental. Um, and from that, asking questions, being curious, having a really solid support of a friend who came to church with me, introduced me to a, a smallish church that was on the fringe of social justice, um, working with refugees, which what I was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. I guess that just cemented where I was meant to head. Isn't that interesting that God knows exactly what we need individually to get us mm. to come to the truth, the way, the truth, the life, to putting a, our faith in Jesus and social justice, helping the more vulnerable in society was how God got your attention, it sounds like. Yeah, it's a really, yeah, I like the way you put that. He really got my attention. Up until then, I was still living in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, worldly desires were still taking effect where, yeah, God got my attention and really aligned with my values. And, you know, now my Christian values are strong. Yeah, okay. Of that, yeah, incremental ways that God challenged me. Step by um, step. Step by step where, you know, I didn't feel socially that I needed to have a drink in my hand to communicate with others that, you know, God had my heart. He was about relationship. Jesus is about relationship with the people he walked alongside that it was okay to be in social settings, for instance, Mm -hmm. without having to conform to dominant ideas that drinking and whatnot. So for you, that meant cutting out social drinking entirely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, young men, young women today, there, there is that, that um, the pressure isn't there to fit in and not be yourself. And hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is there is a kind of a way that we're expected, especially as men, to act in society. Mm. You know, being the tough, tough kind of guy, mm. drinking and yeah. not sharing about mm. feelings and, you know, mm. caring about matters of the heart and all that. And you're kind of countercultural in a sense because that's what you're interested in. God's tugging your heart mm. toward that and you're wanting to help people who are hurting and uh, Mm. God is like, yeah, that's exactly what I want from you. That's how I designed you. That's how I wired you. Was that kind of how you were feeling at that time? Yeah, it was, it was. And um, I didn't have to justify that feeling when I developed that strong relationship with God anymore. And it enabled me to speak into other men's lives and other boys' lives where, you know, leapfrog, you know, where I'm now working in a high school and being able to speak in, to young Mm -hmm. men's lives and talk to them about the challenges of those dominant ideas. And letting them know that, hey, you can share your feelings from time to time. Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. And be vulnerable. And be vulnerable. And so it's um, timely. And I think the way God's now working in my heart is working alongside young men in that space and understanding. You're listening to The Story. Today, Tim Donovan is sharing his life journey and how the Lord worked in his life and eventually led him to be a counsellor. We'll hear more of his story and how one of his clients has had a profound influence on him. All that and more is coming up when we return. The Story. 
If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Our guest today is Tim Donovan, who's the co-author of the book Reclaiming Lives from Sexual Violence, and his website is understandingshame.com. Tim's sharing his life journey with us and how the Lord led him to become a counsellor. Now, here's more of his conversation with Eric Scatterbo. Eventually, you moved to Alice Springs and met your wife. Yeah, so... um I was new to coming to faith, got off the plane, Alice Springs, remember the heat <laughs> hitting me, yeah, like a, just an oven yeah. in the face and going, wow, this is for me, for, in my experience, this is God's country, you know. And Oh, you and really liked it? Really liked it. And the stark contrast of colours of the redness of the dirt and the blue skies and just the vivid imagery I still carry and just feeling, wow, this is, this is where I belong. And I forgot to ask you, where are you joining us from today? Alice Springs. Okay, so, <laughs> so you liked it so much, you're still there. How many years later? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was 2008 where I met Carolyn mm-hmm. um, through a mutual friend at the church up here. And I remember riding my push bike out to the industrial estate going, where is this church? Um, <laughs> I don't know anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Just praying about it. Um, but God directing me there and through a friend meeting, meeting Carolyn and that, you know, in that part of it, so to speak, the rest is history, you know, three kids later and we're up, back up in Alice Springs. So. Right, right. So you haven't been there continuously. You went back to Victoria for a while. Why is that? Yeah, I did. So I just felt that um, it was a real calling uh, being up here, yet God needed to equip me with the skills to come back up and um, for it to be sustainable more longer term. So went back down south, um, central Victoria, studied um, further studies. Mm-hmm. And same with Carolyn, started her family. And then we came up, Carolyn was pregnant with our third child. And uh, it was a bit of a bold move, but God had us there and mm-hmm. God's bold. And Jesus is bold in the way he he went about his business, so to speak. And, um, yeah, had us up here reconnecting him with the church that we knew and the people that we knew. And that was a real faith moment of the support we received being up here again. Mm-hmm. And as far as your journey as a counselor, it was back in Victoria where you began working at a sexual assault agency. Is that right? It was, Eric. So the time time frames, yeah. When I met Carolyn, we were up here for a couple of years. We went to Nepal on our honeymoon. Um, met that Christian family again? Well, they had become Christian? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep, yep. Um, again, and they were Christian at that point. That's that's a side story, and that was a real challenging of our relationship. How so? In a healthy way, I guess you go to a third world country, different language, different food. Um, I was giving Carolyn the false impression that there was no hills, and we all know Nepal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 we're riding our bike through Nepal, so so you can imagine how that tested us. I, in, I can see there could be a, a potential problem there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe I didn't explain myself too well. There is a big <laughs> flat region of Nepal, but to get out to that region, there's a lot of hills. So, okay. But <laughs> your, your marriage and your relationship has survived that little misunderstanding. It has, and it's flourished. And That's because beautiful. Of Carol, 
patience with me. Bless so back, <laughs> yeah, back to um, where we were headed was that um, I got a position working for a sexual assault agency, and I was new to that area um, of working. I was I was relatively new to counselling, and that was really God pushing me towards there mm-hmm. that area. I got a random phone call saying, "Would you like to apply for this position?" Uh, 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 I'm not sure I'm equipped. But, you know, God was tapping me on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And, yeah, apply. Um, And I did. And, yeah, and then we'll get more into this story in a later Mm -hmm. part, won't we, Eric? That's where I met Dale. Now, Dale is the co-author of your book, Reclaiming Lives Mm. from Sexual Violence, Dealing with Understanding Shame. And he's going to come on and share his story so we will know exactly the journey he went on. But we wanted Mm. to find out you know, what led to you being a counselor and talking to him in the first place. Also, I'd like to go back to the questions that we heard at the beginning in the introduction that here you are a new counselor and you're finding out that there are many different strategies and methods to try to help people who've been traumatized by sexual abuse or sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And uh, you had to learn which strategy would be the best one and also would be compatible with your Christian faith. Mm. Yeah, and um, I think I was in an organisation before I came into sexual assault, a Christian person that introduced me to uh, narrative therapy, which identifies, I guess, for the layman, um, the problem is the problem, not the person. And that really struck a chord with me that, you know, if I'm to be working with um, people's experiences to be able to separate their heart from the problem stories in their lives where um, they're still who they are. Mm. The problems have silenced them in a way. Mm. And that's, I guess, the key tenant of narrative therapy. So that's a particular type of therapy to help people to heal? Narrative therapy? It is. It is. And the assumption is that we all have the capacity, the knowledge to make sense of our experiences. Yeah, so kind of um, using a metaphor, because of being a victim of sexual abuse or sexual assault, Mm. Mm. it kind of confuses the person, to say the least, traumatizes them, and they're kind of Mm. confused Mm. and in the wilderness, so to speak. But Mm. your job, if I'm understanding it correctly, is to try to Mm. ask them questions to guide them to get out of that wilderness, and you're kind of saying that you're more or less a guide or they're the ones that are going to actually get out of the the wilderness and come to healing, but you're more a guide. Is that a good analogy? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And um, with that guide, I come with my certain competencies and knowledges, of, of course, and that's where the skill of curiosity and enabling the person, enabling Dale and others to come to those conclusions that they do have skills and abilities that – may have been silenced during the episodes of um, what they've experienced as far as the abuse and that they had the skills to get through. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't be having those conversations, would I, where the guilt, the shame takes over. Wow, what a, what a tremendous privilege you have to walk alongside them, somebody who's hurting, traumatized, and probably have been carrying shame or guilt for years and years, and you can help free them. Lead them out of the darkness. I mean, yeah, be, real, be God's instrument to help them to be freed and healed. Absolutely God's instrument. And it's a real privilege um, mm-hmm. 
to hear the many stories of um, survival and resistance mm-hmm. to these acts that are perpetrated on the person. So, yeah, it is. It is, and it's a real honouring of God and a testament to God, enabling that relationship that I form with them, but also to get the people through. Okay, and we're going to find out exactly what that journey looked like in your relationship Mm. with Dale, who will be our guest next time. And so we will Mm. find out in depth how that relationship developed and then how it helped him to heal to the point where he's now a co-author of a book on this topic with you. Um, We're running out of time, but I wanted to deal with um, the topic. Well, it's in your website, understandingshame.com. So this is a whole... Mm part of helping somebody become freed and heal from the trauma that they experienced in their childhood of sexual abuse is that I've heard this over and over and it's hard for people who haven't gone through this to understand, but if somebody has been abused, a lot of time they feel somehow guilty and ashamed. Is that right? Is Why, why is that? Well, I guess the dominant ideas, and as you alluded to, Dale will speak into this space rightfully so with more detail is words spoken over the person as it's your fault um, that you won't be believed. So the perpetrator, the abuser is teaching them that you're somehow at fault here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you mm. know, it's about power and control and silencing the person in how they see themselves. And what Dale and I came to is sort of the idea that, you know, the shame, the guilt is an indication of his integrity, his Christian values, which we'll go more into, obviously, mm-hmm. but, you know, so Dale could have the power. But generally speaking, yeah, and the myths that play into it as well, that, you know, men should fight back. <laughs> Why did I keep coming back? Um, yeah, those ideas, which I think if we look on a societal context, that's how they can influence mm. people's view of themselves, a negative mm. view of themselves and yeah. the abuse hey? Yep. And then uh, I think I've heard that there's a difference between shame and guilt, whereas sometimes shame says there's something wrong with me. Somehow I'm defective. I'm shameful. Whereas guilt mm-hmm. says I've done something wrong and I can yeah. fix that by repenting and saying I'm sorry and making amends. But if mm-hmm. you feel you're defective, then that's just that's you're just stuck then. Yeah, absolutely. And it cuts to the core of someone's values. Doesn't and view it? of themselves as, as somehow and, and being thus, worthless or, or worth less. Yes. Yeah. Not worthy scum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a couple of words that's thrown around and cuts to the core, doesn't it? And, and it becomes internalized. And therefore, the effects of silencing someone from speaking out about the abuse. But when they can talk to somebody and realize, hey, this is wrong. I was wronged. I was offended by it because I have a sense of decency and I should have been offended by it. And you can let them know, no, you are not defective. You are not shameful. You are somebody who is priceless and God loves you and you can Mm. be freed Mm. and heal from what you've gone through. Mm. Yeah. And because of God and Mm. his love for you that you can heal and he got you through it, you know, and he loves you for who you are. And because of those strong values, you know very clearly that it's a wrong. And it cuts to the core if it's so heinous, isn't it? The mm. core of someone's being. Yeah, with, uh, yeah. What it represents. Well, I, I mean, mm. you and I have talked about this before. The devil doesn't want people to have healthy relationships. And mm. so mm. by having people be abused in this way, it just cuts and 
leaves a scar right to the very core of their being. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, with God's help and through help by people like you and others, healing can come. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. And then it becomes a a recognition, celebration of God and uh, what he's done in Dale's life and others who can come to that. Yes. And that, that those ideas, hey. And what a wonderful story that we're going to hear next time when Dale shares mm. his story and his journey and the friendship that developed between you and Dale as well. Yeah, and, and I guess just quickly, we're running out of time, aren't we, hey, Eric? But, you mm-hmm. know, it's coming from a therapeutic alliance with Dale and I to a friendship to now that we've mm-hmm. co-authored a book and other ventures where, um, yeah, that's God. Only God can <laughs> carefully, with um, care and attention to both of our stories, mm-hmm. create that and make that possible. So it's pretty amazing. Well, Tim Donovan, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your story and also kind of an introduction to the whole topic of how somebody can heal from having been sexually abused as a young person. So thank you so much Mm. for sharing with us today. Uh, It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, that was part one of our series talking with the authors of the book, Reclaiming Lives from Sexual Violence. Our guest today has been Tim Donovan, and he joined us from Alice Springs. Next time, Tim's co-author Dale Johns will join us to share his story. Dale is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And to find out more information about their book, their website is understandingshame.com. Once again, that's understandingshame.com. Finally, we know the topic of childhood sexual abuse has the potential to trigger painful memories. So if you're listening today and need someone to talk to, you can call the 24-hour National Sexual Assault and Domestic Violence Counselling Line at 1-800-RESPECT. Once again, that's 1-800-RESPECT, 1-800-737-732. That's 1-800-737-732. Well, thanks for joining us today for Tim's story, as well as a bit of an introduction to the topic of childhood sexual abuse and the impact it has on survivors. We invite you to join us next time for part two of this series, dealing with a challenging topic that has impacted many in today's society. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I'll I'll share this little story that I wrote. I don't look or feel the same anymore. Every step I take, more of my body falls off. I can't walk anymore, so I drag myself using my arms, only for a short while because as I move, I lose my hands, arms. This continues until all that's left is my voice. And for myself, I've been silenced. That's Dale Johns describing metaphorically the impact that childhood sexual abuse has had on his life. Dale is the co-author of the book Reclaiming Lives from Sexual Violence and he'll share his story next time. The Story. Just another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.